Chemical Watch podcast. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety. Hello and welcome to this week's news podcast hosted by members of the Chemical Watch team. I'm Kate Lowe, Global Managing Editor at Chemical Watch, and for today's episode, I'm joined by our North America Managing Editor, Terry Highland, our Asia Desk Editor, David McFarlane, and Business Editor, Lee Stringer. The subjects we'll be discussing today include a commitment from the US EPA to refine its methods for selecting and reviewing scientific studies that inform its chemical risk evaluations under the Toxic Substances Control Act. We'll also be looking at some of the key upcoming developments highlighted in our latest Global Outlook report on China for 2021. But first, let's start with the results of the fifth survey by US NGO Clean Production Action, which examines the progress that corporations are making in transitioning to safer chemicals. Brands, manufacturers and retailers answered 19 questions for the survey, evaluating their chemicals management policies and practices. This year, there were seven companies that performed particularly well. So, Lee, um, could you just start by telling us you know, what, what was it that marked these companies out um, in this year's survey? Yes, thanks, Kate. So there are a number of factors that contributed to the individual scores, but uh, what was really clear this year uh, in this latest iteration of the uh, Chemical Footprint Project survey was that companies with board level engagement on their organization's chemicals management policies uh, were far more likely than other responders to secure the highest scores. Um, Those companies leading the pack uh, have really set the pace on chemicals management Uh, And for the first time, actually, seven of the responding companies scored over 80% of the possible points. So really, really going strong. Uh, The report said these companies excelled in the areas of senior management leadership, uh, board level engagement, as well as measuring their chemical footprint, switching to safer alternatives and disclosing their CFP results, which uh, we'll talk about later. Okay, thanks, Lee. I understand that uh, responders were reluctant to disclose parts of their chemicals management plans and goals or make their chemical footprint responses and scores public. Um, can you tell us more about this finding? Yeah, that's that's right, Kate. So like previous years, um, we've had many responders were reluctant to disclose parts of their chemicals management plans and goals. Uh, or make their their chemical footprint project responses and scores public, Uh, so not uncommon. Uh, The majority of companies that chose to participate in the survey had a a chemicals policy or a restricted substances list, uh, chemicals of high concern reduction goal, or safer alternatives definition, Uh, but less than half were willing to publicly disclose those goals. Um, The report said that responders are more likely to to disclose when they understand how the results are used, uh, have support from senior management um, and or have external pressures demanding or incentivizing this. Uh, And in related news, we published today actually an article reporting on a discussion had 
during a webinar of the, the CFP results earlier this month, um, where a representative from participating company RB, uh, the UK uh, consumer goods company, uh, and they explained that it decided not to reveal its participation of scores uh, in the first couple of years because it wanted to ensure uh, what it was measuring was correct before making it public. Um, and another speaker, Holly Tester from investor advisory firm, uh, firm uh, First Affirmative Financial Network, uh, she said that companies not yet disclosing their CFP survey answers or their scores would probably rather climb that learning curve privately until they can get to the point where they can confidently reveal their practices and efforts. Uh, and interestingly, she said that she understands this tendency and that the reality is that investors and other stakeholders need to give companies credit initially just for disclosing. Okay, thanks very much, Lee. So now let's turn to the US where, as we mentioned earlier, uh, the US EPA has committed to refining its methods for selecting and reviewing scientific studies that inform its chemical risk evaluations under the Toxic Substances Control Act, or TOSCA. The commitment follows a critical report on the agency's existing systematic review protocol published by the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering and Medicine, the NAS. The NES launched its independent peer review of the EPA's systematic review protocol in 2019 after disagreement emerged over the agency's original process for selecting and evaluating scientific studies to inform its TOSCA reviews. Its report calls for a number of changes to the TOSCA systematic review process that has been in place since the EPA issued problem formulations for the first 10 substances in June 2018. So Terry, can you tell us more about the changes the NAS would like to see? Yeah, hi Kate. So the, the bottom line here is, is that the NAS says the EPA's approach did not meet the state of practice standard for systematic review. And systematic review, according to the NAS, it's the process used to identify, assess, and synthesize uh, a body of evidence and research to clarify what's known and what's not known. And regulators use systematic review to pull together all the evidence they need to assess a substance's impact on human health and the environment. So, you know, what are the hazards at play? Uh, but what's newer in the EPA's approach, according to NAS, is EPA's approach uses systematic review to collect and evaluate evidence on exposure assessment or the magnitude, the frequency and duration of exposure to a substance. And ultimately it's the integration of the hazards with the exposures uh, that get you to the overall risk of potential harm. And in its peer review of the EPA's approach, the NAS was pretty blunt. It said the EPA's approach was not sufficiently comprehensive objective, transparent, or in the end, even workable. Uh, so the NAS then outlined four suggestions for how the EPA could improve its, uh, its review process. And uh, one of the first, it said that the EPA um, tried to develop this process just too much out of whole cloth. And instead, it said that the agency should consider borrowing methodologies used from other programs 
like those used by the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences or the EPA's own Integrated Risk Information System, or IRIS. Uh, next, the NAS said that the EPA should create a handbook for the TSCA reviews and the evidence integration that detail all the steps in the process. Without that documented approach, the NAS said that EPA staff had to decide on the approaches for each new risk evaluation rather than really following a, a set protocol. And in doing this, the NAS said that EPA should take a cross-sector approach and engage with different experts to develop and validate new tools and approaches uh, for, for exposures. Um, and finally, it said that the EPA should develop standard descriptors for the strength of the evidence uh, that it finds. For example, up to now, the NAS said EPA had used the terms weight of evidence and systematic review interchangeably, and developing a single set of descriptors could really help make the process more clear. Okay, thank you very much, Terry. So, can you tell us more about the changes the EPA uh, is intending to make? A little. Um, so, what we do know is that the EPA will certainly change the process. After the, the NAS report came out, the EPA said it is uh, not now using and will not use again uh, the systematic review approach that the NAS looked at. Now, exactly what the new process will look like is still unclear. When EPA made its announcement that it will amend the systematic review process, it said that the original document it produced in 2018 that you had mentioned, Kate, and that document explained the application of systematic review in TSCA risk evaluations, the EPA said that was meant to be used for the first 10 risk evaluations, and then changes could be made based on experience gained from that process. Well, the EPA has now finalized the first 10 risk evaluations, and it says it's working to develop that new systematic review protocol. The, the biggest hint the agency gave is that it says it will incorporate approaches from the IRIS program. Now, the IRIS program conducts independent toxicity reviews of substances, and that informs regulations in the EPA's program offices. So, and the IRIS program has been criticized over the years for taking worst case exposure scenarios that could lead to overly conservative regulatory responses. But many NGOs have supported its work, uh, saying that that work is crucial and it uses the best scientific methods for ensuring public, uh, so, sorry, for ensuring protection of the public health and the environment without um, undue industry influence. So the, the EPA said once it does develop that new systematic review process, it said it will release it for public comment and then there will be potential further refinement after that. Okay, thanks very much, Terry. So lastly, um, how might these changes uh, affect the current TOSCA risk evaluations? Well, that's a great question. So the biggest effect likely will be on the 20 plus substances currently undergoing TOSCA risk evaluations. The EPA last autumn put out scope documents for the next 20 high priority substances, and they're starting the review process for a handful of other chemicals where manufacturers had requested risk evaluations. Now, those reviews are still in the early stages. TOSCA reviews can be three years with an optional six month extension. So those 20 plus risk evaluations 
will all likely be affected by the EPA's new systematic review process, even if it takes a number of additional months to finalize that. Now, one big question is, what does this change mean for the first 10 substances that have already undergone risk evaluations? And the EPA hasn't really answered that question. Even before the NAS report, it said it's actively reviewing those already finalized risk evaluations. Um, and it says it wants to ensure that they follow the best available science. But that kind of leaves it a bit up in the air uh, as to how or if this new systematic review process might alter um, the review for those first 10 substances. One guess would be that the agency could choose to simply build on what it's already done and potentially supplement some of those already completed risk evaluations rather than try to go back and redo all of them. Uh, part of the reason for that is that the agency has a lot of work ahead of it. It's already moving forward on the TSCA risk management process for those first 10 substances. And uh, that's the process to develop rules to mitigate the unreasonable risks that it's already identified in final risk evaluations. And under the TSCA statute, it has to start putting out those proposals uh, to mitigate risks starting this summer. Uh, in fact, a proposed rule for methylene chloride is due by, by late June. Okay, thanks very much, Terry. Let's turn now to our final topic for this week's podcast, China which kicked off 2021 at a rapid pace with a raft of rules and regulations coming into force and more expected as the year rolls on. Our Global Outlook report for 2021, which was published last week, highlighted the key developments, which include developments regarding China's incoming overarching chemicals law, its arrangements with new chemicals, substance restrictions, hazardous chemicals, China's new cosmetics regulation, and food contact materials. So David, um, could you start by just giving us a quick recap on the regulations which actually kicked in on January the 1st? Um, and that I think includes MEE Order 12 for new chemicals and China's cosmetics regulation. Hi Kate. So the long-awaited MEE Order 12 provisions for the environmental management of new, new chemical substances, or MEE Order 12 for short, finally came into effect on the 1st of January, replacing MEP Order 7. And it came with new, new registration types and data requirements for new chemical substances. Uh, the regulation governs all new chemicals in the country and will work in tandem with the overarching regulations for the environmental management of toxic and hazardous substances when the law is finalised. Industry has criticised MEE Order 12 for its lack of research and development exemptions, but it did welcome the increased acceptance of alternative test methods. The final technical guidelines for the environmental risk assessment of chemical substances are expected to be published in the first half of this year. And these guidelines will be essential for industry to prepare new chemical substance registration dossiers and environmental risk assessment reports. Also on the 1st of January, China's new Cosmetics Supervision and Administration Regulation, or the CSAR, came into force. It includes several substantial changes that will have an impact on cosmetics companies and cosmetics ingredient suppliers. 
CSAR makes it easier for companies to register or use new, new cosmetic ingredients, which will be classified into ordinary new cosmetic ingredients and risky new cosmetic ingredients. Ordinary new cosmetic ingredients only need to go through filing procedures, and the data requirements are lighter than they were before. And under the regulation, only the more risky new cosmetic ingredients require NMPA approval before they can be used. Finally, the management and supervision, supervision of efficacy claims have been strengthened under CSAR, and many supporting regulations and guidelines are also expected to be published in the early part of this year. Okay, thanks very much, David. So looking ahead to the rest of the year, um, I believe we've got substance restrictions coming into force on the 1st of June and uh, and also possible publication of a, a draft new law on the safety of hazardous chemicals. Can you tell us a little about them? Yes, Kate. A voluntary standard restricting the use of 117 hazardous sub substances in consumer items is set to come into force on the 1st of June. These are called the guidelines for controlling the use of key chemical substances in consumer products, and they will apply to all consumer products, including their components, parts, accessories, instructions, and packaging. But they will not apply to goods that are regulated separately, such as food, pharmaceuticals, and cosmetics. The guidelines outline uh, the safety requirements for each substance and the migration limits for specific products, which includes children's products, jewelry, textiles, coatings, furniture and leather goods. Sector groups in Europe have told Chemical Watch they expect little impact from the voluntary standard, and this is because the substances are largely the same as those restricted under EU reach. For the new draft law on the safety of hazardous chemicals, or HASCHEM, the Ministry of Emergency Management has gone through several consultations, most, re most recently in October last year. It's likely to be published this year and will replace the, the current degree 591 regulations on safe management of hazardous chemicals. And this will mainly affect chemical manuf manufacturers in China and companies that import, store and transport hazardous chemicals in the country. Great, thanks very much, David. So finally, um, are there any developments regarding the overarching chemicals law for China? Yeah, well, once this is finalized, the new law will become China's overarching chemical framework and managing both new and existing chemicals. And it will sit above the country's uh, revised law on new substances, MEE Order 12, which, as I said before, came into effect on January the 1st. A second draft of the, of the law, originally known as the Regulation on the Environmental Risk Assessment and Control of Chemical Substances, or ERAC, was published by the Ministry of Ecology and Environment in September 2019. Um, this law will have impact all businesses manufacturing, importing, using and exporting chemical substances in the country. And it will require businesses to report the name, volume and uses of chemical substances manufactured, imported and used every three years, with some exemptions for low volume and low risk substances. Since the MEE notified the draft regulation to the WTO in September 2019, there have been few updates. However, Chemical Watch understands that the incoming overarching chemicals law is likely to be renamed the regulations for the environmental management of toxic and hazardous substances. The provisions of the proposed law are not expected to change 
but his regulatory target may be narrowed down to oversee toxic and or hazardous chemical substances only instead of all chemical substances on the market. Okay, that's great. Thanks very much, David. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. So thank you again to David, Lee and Terry for sharing their insight into today's stories with us. And thank you to you, our audience, for listening to today's episode. If you would like to find out more about the topics from today's discussion, including the Global Outlook reports for 2021, please head over to the Chemical Watch website at chemicalwatch.com. Until next week, goodbye. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety. The Chemical Watch Podcast.